So this is what it says in Hebrews 6.13. For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Okay, now those of us here Wednesday, we're not, we won't have time to go back into Wednesday night. So I wish you'd been here. But the point being is that if you look down at verse 8, well, we'll start at verse, verse, let's go to verse 19. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul. Now, we learned Wednesday night that it doesn't actually say this hope we have is an anchor of the soul. Now, that's been quoted by many people. It's on a lot of plaques in a lot of people's houses. And I want to tell you something, that hope is not in there. It's added by the translators because they think that's what it was pointing to. But it doesn't say, in other words, what they do sometimes is they add words to make things flow. You understand that, right? Because in Hebrew, things don't flow necessarily like they do in English. So what they, what in their minds, they think, thought it meant hope so they put it back in there again so that when we read it read it it'd be it flow better and make more sense but what we found out is in the greek it's not there <laughs> hope is not written in there in the greek okay and so we also found out that not only is it not in there but they were a little bit off when they added it to make it flow because that's not actually what the verse is pointing to and we proved it, we'll do it real quick for those of you who may not believe, thinking, who in the world are you? Do you think you can overrule the translators? I'm not. I think the Holy Spirit can. And I think a revelation to anybody will teach him really quick what he's saying here. Because I'll tell you right now, Paul said in Romans, hope, hope, hope that is seen is not hope. In other words, hope doesn't prove anything visibly. Can, can you understand that? Hope is not a proof. Hope is waiting for a proof. Hope is believing for a proof, but it's not a proof. So what you have to realize, what does this say right here? Well, let's go to it. I, I wasn't planning to go in this far, but I see a lot of people that might not have, well, that weren't here. So let me say this. Um, verse 17, God determining to show. You cannot show by hope. Hope doesn't show anything. You going to rain? I hope so. I don't show anything. God is not going to show through hope. God's going to show through a manifestation, all right? So just scratch through that right there and say, we suggest hope is not right here. It wasn't in the Greek, and we suggest not adding it. And as a matter of fact, the verse clearly tells you what it's pointing to if you just read it in context by the Spirit of God. It says this, um, verse 18, pointing to that thing that they think is hope, which we now know isn't. God swore to Abraham, and what did he, what did he say? He says, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. I'm coming into 18. Confirmed it with an oath. That by what? Two immutable things. It's very clear that that word shouldn't be hope. It should be these two things. And it's so obvious in the passage what the two things are because he just laid them out for us up in verse 13. The only two things that are pointed to in the whole passage. And it's a quote from the Old Testament. And it says, it's, it's the, by the way, it's the promise to your father, Abraham. He's, he's your father spiritually, not naturally. You're not necessarily a natural descendant in the flesh from the Jews. But you are a spiritual Israel if you've come into the Lord, to this relationship through Jesus Christ. So the whole idea is being revealed right here. Amen. But look what he says. Surely blessing, I'm going to bless you. And multiplying, I'm going to multiply you. What are the two immutable things? Blessing and multiplying. What will show you that God's promises are true? You will be blessed and you will be multiplied. 
Those two things reach inside the veil, and they're an anchor for the soul. They show you that God's promises are true because they should manifest in your life. Hope's not going to show you anything. The manifestation of the two promises will hold you there. Amen. When times get tough, the manifestation of the two immutable things will hold you. They're like an anchor for your soul. Because what is your soul? Is your soul born again? Be clear. Be careful. Is your soul born again? Your spirit is. Your soul's not complete. Your soul in this life right now as we stand here is complete to the degree that it's been transformed by the renewing of the word. That's why every different Christian has a different experience that they receive by faith. That's why it's wrong for me to say, oh, well, you know, uh, that's not true. What they believe is not true. No, no, probably it is. I just don't have a revelation of it. My faith is not at that level. So in a way for me, it is true that it's not true because I can't receive it. But they who believe can receive it, and it is true that it is true for them. This blows people's minds that want the New Testament to be so rigid because what we begin to understand is the New Testament threw rigidity out. And y'all remember, I think it was either last Sunday, I think it was last Sunday, I stood up here and said, it doesn't meet our definition of what a church is. You remember me saying that? that that's what they were saying? They missed the whole thing because they think there's this written law about what what is. And there isn't. But we ain't get into that, all right? I ain't get into that. But so, so that you understand, what does immutable mean? We talked about it Wednesday. Those of you here know, but some may not. So you got to understand it. Because I want to give you an example. Why are we talking about this? Why would we be talking about this? I'm going to give you an example. God doesn't do miracles anymore. That was during a certain time when the apostles were on the earth. He's not into healing through men anymore. Some he does and some he doesn't. Some he wants to, some he doesn't. Let me promise you something. God says you're blessed and it's immutable. That, that one little verse throws that whole doctrine out on his head, out in the middle of the street getting run over by a bus right now. The promises God made are immutable. He didn't remove them at a certain point. What happened is we removed faith for them at a certain point, and he allowed us to do it. Because we have freedom to believe what we want to believe. Matter of fact, he'll let you not even believe in him and go to hell. So if you can't understand that, believe that he will allow you to be in unbelief. He will allow it. That should fire some people up. Oh, my gosh, if that's true, that means I better get on my horse. Yeah, that means you better get on your horse and get in the word. Because he will allow you to be in unbelief to any level that you are. And you got all day long to learn what he said. And he's not, he's not trying to make you learn it. He's put it there as a feast on a table for you to come and eat from. You know, you know, you know the, the model prayer they call it? You know what it says? Give us today our daily bread. You were thinking about food. Give us today our daily bread. Jesus said, you got to eat me. He's the word, folks. Give me today my daily bread. What, my revelation for life today, because today has its own cares and its own worries. Didn't he say that? Each day has cares of its own. It has enough worry for itself. Don't worry about anybody else. Don't worry about anything else. What's he saying? The revelation for today will carry you through today. But you can't find that written in there. That comes from the Spirit of God as he reveals things in there. You can't just read it like you would Shakespeare. You'll miss it all right? 
That's why we don't want to say, you're not, you're not going to hear me say unless I'm lost my mind. You missed the definition. Uh-uh. No, the only definition for our church in the new covenant is that they've come to the Lord through Christ Jesus. That's it. There are different levels of faith beyond that, different levels of understanding beyond that. There are different everythings beyond that, different giftings, different talents, different purposes. Oh, man, it's all, everybody's different, you know. Hey, I think it blows some people's mind that we can all be so different and yet all be in Christ because they want you to look like them. If you're a Christian, you ought to look like me. And conversely, they look at somebody they think is a super Christian. They say, if I'm a Christian, I'll look like them. Problem is, God didn't call you to follow anybody. He called you to follow him. And he gave you a spirit so that he would help you become who he called you to be. Amen. So anyway, now that we made that point, let's go into some really good stuff. Amazing stuff. Okay. First of all, you have to settle it in your mind. And if you can't, just read it. You know, just read it. Blessing and multiplication are for the church today, all the way back to Genesis, and all the way to the end of Revelation. They are immutable. They are unalterable, cannot be transposed or transfixed. They stay. They remain. God will not remove them because it's his word that says they are immutable. Next time you hear somebody say, well, I don't think God blesses like that anymore. He just did that in the Old Testament. Nope, it's immutable. Sorry, you're wrong. It's that simple. Love you to death. You're wrong. I don't listen to that kind of stuff. You know what, you know what Jesus would have said? Somebody said that, right? Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> no, it's funny, but he meant it. We use it as a joke. He used it as you're not getting into my head because I have to live a life of faith to be successful. I wish we lived it like that. I wish we wouldn't tolerate it like that. Not as a joke, not as a, you know, because, I mean, yeah, it is. But, but, I mean, think about it. He literally said it so it couldn't lodge itself here and cause him to fail so he wouldn't stumble. We love people so much, we listen to their junk and allow it to cause us to stumble. You understand the difference between us and Christ, right? He would never do that. He would look at them and say, you're wrong. He didn't mean it in a bad way. He just meant the truth is it ain't on your side. You need to stop or it's going to cause you to stumble. It's not going to cause me to stumble. Do you understand what the word does? When you said, no, I don't receive it. No, it's not true. It blocked it. It found no entrance in him. When we allow it, it finds interest. It finds entrance in us. Words are powerful, much more powerful than what you can do with your hands right? He was blocking the things that aren't true. No, I don't, that don't stick to me. That doesn't stick to me. And a lot of people make fun of people. They say, no, I don't receive that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Isn't that, isn't that sweet? No, they're being serious. That may work for you, and that may enter your life and cause corruption in your life. However, it won't enter into mine. I don't receive it. It stops with you. And you can't bring it in my house. You can't speak it around my kids or I'm going to have to separate from you. Oh, but that'd just be wrong. No, that's perfect. Jesus came to separate that what is from what isn't. That's what he did. He said, you remember the Bible says, right? Suppose not that he came to bring peace. 
And that's what all the good Christians think, right? No matter how sinful or how out of whack their faith is, we just supposed to just love them, bring them in, bring them right up in amongst us. And Jesus said, don't suppose I came to bring, bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I came to cut off that which isn't and divide it from that which is. Good old religious Christianity. Just make best friends with people that don't have faith. No. You go out into their arena and you are an example of faith. And when they take on the example, then they come in. Amen? That makes sense? Because, you know, you also got the full counsel of Scripture, right? Cast not thy pearls before swine because they'll turn and devour you. <laughs> right? How do you determine swine? Swine stays unclean after it knows the truth. Pig knows he's in the mud. Pig roots up everything, makes a mess. You know why pigs are unclean, right? Think about it. Why are they unclean? They're out there with the cows and everything else. The cows and the sheep and all, they nibble the grass, and they go on, and the grass can grow back. The hog goes out, roots up everything, eats the roots and all. It's desolate when he's done. Doesn't care about anybody, anything. He gets through rooting up the roots, and nothing can grow. You know what I'm saying? A Christian cares about those around and makes sure there's a little grass for everybody. <laughs> Somebody that's clean is more concerned about the other than themselves. The pig goes out to root it all up. Take heed to yourself. How do you live? What do you do? Right? Amen? And what does the golden rule say? Do unto others as you'd have them to do. Under you, if you're a pig rooting everything up, you don't want them doing that to you because that leaves nothing for you. But if you're like any of the clean animals, you go out and you eat alongside them and everybody has some. Amen? Isn't that true? Okay. So if you will then, let's talk about what is better about the new covenant. And we'll find this out in Hebrews 8, 6. So it's right here where you already are, okay? 8, 6. Look at what it says. Speaking of Jesus, but now he, that's talking about Jesus, the Lord. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, okay? Somebody say Jesus' ministry is more excellent than Moses. More excellent than Moses. Why? Because the word tells us so. Right, okay. So it's not something you have to like think about back and forth. It's settled in scripture, can we say that? It's settled in Scripture. I wish people would figure that out. There's a lot of people trying to figure things out that are already settled in Scripture. All right? But now he's obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he's the mediator of a better covenant built on or established on. Woo! Better promises. Immutable promises. Those are good promises, the ones that don't change. Amen? You with me? Yay? Yay. Okay. Now, let's figure out, let's start to d delve into this a little bit. Are you interested to know why it's better? Why is it better? The reason it's better will blow our minds. It's awesome. If you will, I want to I want to look at a few things. Let's go to Isaiah 59. 20 through 21 and i didn't give it to the guys in the back so it may take them a second if they're able to put it up there isaiah 59 20 
through 21. Isaiah is right past Jeremiah going back. You guys with me? Okay. All right. Isn't that great? They put two, two seriously heavy-hitting prophets right there beside each other, Isaiah and Jeremiah. <laughs> I mean, and they're all in there, but these guys are like, you know, this is like Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle, except bigger, right, in the Lord. Don't you think? I mean, you know, now, granted, the Lord did it, but there they are, you know. So it's amazing. Thank you, Lord. All right, 5920 leads us in. The Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. Now, here's where we go. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. You ready? What's the better about it? My spirit is upon you. And my words which I put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forever. You realize what I just said, right? What are the words? The promises. And what did he just say? The promises are immutable. They will not depart. They will, come on, say it. They will not depart. The promises will not depart. The Lord says, as for my part, can you hear me? God doesn't heal anymore. God doesn't bless anymore. God doesn't do miracles anymore. That's somebody else. Because the Lord says, as for my part, my words won't depart. Now, on your part, they might. Because you may quit believing in them. Your preachers may even start teaching that they've left. But the word says they're immutable. And the Lord God Almighty who created all things says, as for my part, they're permanent. They'll never depart. Never, 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 never will my promises, my word depart. It'll never depart. It won't cease. It's unalterable, immutable. Amen? Not to be transposed. In other words, I can't take it out of this covenant now. It's done its job and move it over here because I've already promised that it's immutable. If I ever did it, and it was ever promised, is still alive. You know, it sounds a lot like 2 Corinthians, right? The first chapter there, somewhere about verse 20, where it says, for everything, all the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. See, let everything be confirmed by at least two witnesses, right? So here we go. Amen? So who departed? I'll just leave that there. I'll just leave that there, you know? Who departed then? So these things are not changeable. They've existed from the beginning for us, and we remain in them. Now, there was a, glit, there was a blip of time when everything got kind of muddied a little bit, right? But now, if you will, just come back a little bit to Jeremiah 31, 33. Isaiah, Jeremiah. 31, 33. All right, I got to get there myself. Okay, another good thing. You ready? Okay. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. You remember what we said? Jesus is what? The mediator of a better covenant built on better promises. We're about to find out what that covenant is because this is the covenant that will be built after those days. What are those days? The days of the law. The days when darkness was over people. We didn't, have, we didn't have the revelation that would come with Christ. Amen? Okay. So after those days, says the Lord, what? I will put my law or the word, right? 
Because, and, and let me say this, if you're a law person and you're given to law, you take that to mean the Old Testament law. It obviously isn't. He's just saying, I'll put my counsel or my word. And the reason is the law was fulfilled in Jesus. It, it's not on us. Okay? So he's not saying he's going to take the Old Testament law and put it in your mind. No, that would have kept us under the law, folks. That would undo what he's trying to do. He's just talking about the word of the counsel of God. Amen? And you're going to see that in a minute. But I want to put that out there so you don't get bogged down right here. Because that's what people do. They're so law-given, everything they read says law, and they can't understand the truth of the fullness of Scripture. Right? Okay. You with me? That makes sense? All right. Okay. Let me get back to my part here. Okay. This is a covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after those days. Are we the house of Israel? If you don't believe it, read Romans 8, 9, 10, and 11. It tells you that all who believe and come through Christ are now Israel, right? Okay. So, this is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. You with me? How many of you, after you got saved, or after you were born again, you, you, you looked up to heaven, or maybe you didn't, I don't know what you did, but you believed in your heart that Jesus died in your place, and you said, Lord, I, I trust Jesus as my Savior. I, I can't do it. And at that point, God saw you as a son, and the Spirit of God regenerated you to him, and he became alive to you, and you became alive to him. You've had that happen, I assume many of you have, because that makes you a Christian, what we commonly call a Christian, right? Okay, so when that happened, did you all of a sudden know the whole Word of God? Did He put it in your mind and in your heart? So is He a liar? No. Well, let's talk about it then. What's He really saying right here? And that day, I'll put my Word in their mind, on their heart. Now, they st you still read the Bible, right? You still read Scripture. You can read Old Testament Scripture and New Testament Scripture. Amen? But it doesn't get put on your heart till the Holy Spirit reveals it. You understand? When he says, I'll put it, what he's saying is, I'll unveil it. I'll reveal it. And when I reveal it, there's power up until then. It's just words, folks. That's why you got so many people in alternate religions that I read the whole Bible all the way through four times. I didn't see anything. No, you didn't. You're right, because the Spirit of God didn't unveil it to you. It was as a law to you or just as some book with words. But when the Spirit of God... I want, I want to take you back to the Isaiah 59 passage. There were two parts to that, if you remember. What he said was, My Spirit that is upon you and my words that I've given you, will never, 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 never depart. You remember that? Why do you think he said, my spirit that's upon you first? Because unless that spirit is upon you, those words will not be revealed and they won't remain. So he makes it a point every time to show us how this works. That's why you'll never hear me say Bible only, sola scriptura, because it won't work without the spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit revealing what it says, all you have is a law, and you're going to end up standing across somebody and say, you don't meet my definition. What you believe is not what that says. And just as seriously as anything in your heart, you're going, that's exactly what it says to me. 
And they're going to be over there going, it's not what it says. We're going to start a different denomination because it says this, right? And then that person going to say, well, we were over here with you, but now we think you're wrong, and it says this. And they're going to start another one and another one. And the church of God gets divided and divided and divided and divided. Oh, that's what we did. Never mind. Right? Because we thought it came down to words written on paper. And we did not understand the covenant we've been given. The covenant says he will write them on our minds and on our hearts. Obviously, you've already agreed that the day you got saved, he didn't write the whole Bible on your mind. Can you recite the whole Bible? Anybody in here? I can't. No. So he didn't mean that, did he? What he meant was, as you read, he'll put it in there the way it's supposed to be. The Holy Spirit will reveal the meaning to the people of God. Amen? In their minds and on their hearts. Amen? Amen. And it'll be done by his Spirit. That's why in Isaiah 59, he started out with the Spirit. Spirit didn't belong there. It was all about the Word. But you can't have the Word in its powerful form unless it's moved on, revealed, touched by the Spirit. Amen? That's why it's dangerous for us to say, if you'll just read the Bible, you'll understand it all. No. First of all, you've got to be born again, and then you need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost because the more the Spirit you have, the greater revelation you're going to have. Period. 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 Because you're reading it, again, like Shakespeare. That's, I, I, people used to shout at me. They'd say, well, I, I just wish, I can't wait till I've been a Christian as long as you so I can understand the Bible like you do. And I'm sitting there going, you think it's some kind of function of time? It's not a function of time. Did you not read the covenant we've been given? He'll put it in your mind and in your heart. It's not a function of time and having read. It's a function of God by the Holy Spirit. We're still trying to walk in the natural in a covenant that's gone above. We're still trying to understand things in this book based on a written word with a period at the end. That's how silly we are sometimes, isn't it? You don't believe me. You don't believe me. Well, let me just tell you. To tell you how, how flexible and, and revelatory everything is, they were arguing with Jesus kind of lightly and saying, but isn't John, isn't, isn't Elijah supposed to come back? And you can't be Messiah because Elijah hasn't come back yet. He looked up and he said, you guys read that thing and, and, and read every word, didn't you? You read every word of that law, didn't you? And they're like, we sure did. And we know the definition. And the definition says Elijah will come back before. See, you can't be Messiah. You can't believe in healing. You can't believe. Oh. But what's the revelation of it? Jesus revealed it to him. He said, but what you got to understand is John the Baptist is Elijah. That was to come. And then he made it even better. He said, if you can receive that. Because it's all by revelation, folks. It's not by definition. It's by revelation. So Jesus was teaching us all along. If you go by every dot and tittle and you try to, oh, no, 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 no. You liable to miss it just like they did. And you have. 
because we'll get into it even more, but it's starting to be beautiful, but it's going to be even more beautiful. We see how he's really set this thing up because he's unbelievable. (laughs) In the human sense, God cannot be believed, but only by his spirit can he reveal these things and we go, oh, Because that's what it always does. <laughs> Every time we get a true revelation of how great he is, the next thing that happens is, right? Amen. Thank you, Lord. So, I'll put it in their minds and on their hearts. I'll be the revealer. I'll be the revealer. In the new covenant, when they read it, I'll reveal it. In the new covenant, when the teachers teach it, I'll be the one behind them revealing it. Even when Jesus taught them that John the Baptist was the Elijah to come. It was the Spirit of God on him, teaching through him. Have you figured that out yet? Have you figured that out yet? There's never a preacher stood in front of anybody that was sinless. It was only the Spirit of God moving through them. When they left, they were just as normal as anything. When when Apostle Peter and Paul were writing and inspired to write scripture for you, and they left, they were just as normal when it was done as they had been before. They didn't walk in some kind of crazy level of sinlessness, folks. We judge servants of God, deacons and all. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're unreal what we expect from people, and yet we don't look at our own lives and say, well, God works through me, and I'm not perfect. It's right in front of our faces how he works, and yet we still think it's some level of doing. <laughs> like like some, at some point, somebody attains this level of being almost perfect, right? It's crazy because you know your own heart. You're denying what you know and saying there must be somebody who's perfect, right? There was only one. He's not here anymore except in you. He's seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And those of you who think that God won't work through somebody unless they're perfect, you're really out there. Because this is proof right here. The Spirit rests on you to reveal things to you even though you still miss the mark. He uses you in your capacity for him day in and day out even though you still miss the mark. Sarah sang a minute ago that it's in jars of clay. Paul taught that on purpose so you'd realize you never have to attain this degree of perfection before God will use you, that if you're in Christ, he's using you to the degree that you'll yield and allow it. (laughs) Amen? Amen? Come on. Come on. You know it's true now. You can't argue with it. You may not like it. It may not feel right. Don't sit right in the flesh. Because the flesh is still under that law, man. It hadn't been redeemed yet. We hadn't been raised incorruptible or immortal. So we got that part of us that's still, still trying to be pulled by the wagon, right? The wagon of the law. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's keep going. Now, since we're done there, let's go to Hebrews 7 this time. Hebrews 7. And the good thing is it's right by 6. So if you still had any kind of a marker there, you'll, you'll find it easily. All right. Now, I guess I should make a point beforehand. Are you, are you in seven? Is six on the same page, partially at least? Okay. If that's the case, look at verse 13 of six before we go into seven. Okay, just to set the groundwork. 
When God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely, you know, blessing, I'll bless you, and this, that, and the other. And you go all the way down through there. And look at verse 20. Where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, what? Having become a high priest forever according to the order or the pattern of Melchizedek, whom we, if, if, you're, if you're not a Bible person yet, because you will be, you keep coming here. But if you're not yet, because, I mean, I'm just telling you, it's unavoidable. When you start seeing how good God is, you can't, you can't get out of it, right? I mean, you're like, oh, my gosh, let me see what else he's got for me. Praise God. But, okay, Melchizedek was this priest that showed up after Abram rescued Lot, right? And all of a sudden, this king shows up out of nowhere. Nobody knows where he came from. Nobody knows his lineage. Nobody knows anything about this cat. He shows up. He brings bread and wine to Abram. Every quarter, we take bread bread and wine. What are we doing? Communion, right? So Abraham took communion from a high priest That's in the order of Christ, way back before the law was ever implemented. So what does that tell me? If I want to see the beautiful covenant before it was corrupted into the law, I can look at Abraham. The way God dealt with Abraham is the way he deals with us. And if he hadn't put this together yet, that's why it says that all who are in Christ are the seed of Abraham. Abraham, not Moses. Because the Moses years were darkness. It was separation. It was blessing and curses. And for us, it was curses because we couldn't be obedient because of the flesh. So what God did was he erased those years. Actually, he didn't erase them. He paid the debt for those years and reconnected us over it back to Abraham. So if I want to see how God really deals with me, I would never go see how he dealt with Moses and those people. I would go back to Father Abraham because the way he dealt with Abraham is the way he's dealing with us now because Galatians 3 says we're all heirs through Abraham. Amen? Make sense? So if I want to know, I could go there. and We'll go there in a minute, but let's just keep looking right now. Just for a second, just for a second. Now that we've set that stage and we know how Melchizedek's important, let's now go to Hebrews 7, 21. Okay. It's talking about the oath that made Jesus a priest because all the Levitical priests, that's those under the law and Levitical, my goodness, quite a big word, just means they were from the tribe of Levi. There were, there were 12 tribes that were Israel's sons, okay? And one of them was this guy named Levi. And his descendants would be the priests, his natural descendants, like with his DNA. You got it? Okay. Now, it's interesting. Natural DNA was thrown out because Melchizedek came and nobody knew his DNA. <laughs> nobody knew his lineage. And he existed before the law, which proves it was here before. And after Jesus fulfilled that blip of being apart and the wrath of God, we're reconnected again. In Christ, who's the seed of Abraham, right? You see what I mean? So that proves you don't go there looking for answers. Now, you can get good word there, but you've got to see it in the, in, in the light and the goggles of grace or else it'll tug you back down and your flesh will be under the law again before you know it. Right? You'd be back trying to trying to work your way to heaven, work your way to blessing. 
You can be holy by your works. Getting holier by the minute. Every minute you don't sin, you're holy, and every minute you do, you're going back. But it's not true. Because in Christ, we have a better covenant built on better promises. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? So let's look at it. For they, the Levitical ones, became priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him. Now remember, the Lord, the Lord said this to Jesus, but it was said by prophecy. It was spoken by prophecy. One of the prophets wrote this, and when Jesus came to earth and was born and began to study the Scripture, he saw it written to him. And, of course, Jesus had the Holy Spirit, so he wasn't reading the Word like they all were, like Shakespeare. When he read it, it was quickened in his spirit by the Spirit of God, and he knew exactly that it was to him and who he was. Amen? And look at what it said. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. Golly, that sounds a lot like immutable. <laughs> I won't relent. I won't change. I won't alter it, right? The Lord has sworn and he will not relent. You are a priest forever, not according to the law or Moses, but all the way back according to the order of Melchizedek. Amen. Wow. Okay. So we know now that proves everything. If we want to see what it looks like, the real priest would be in the order of Melchizedek. And the real blessing would look like it looks to Abram, not to Moses and that crowd. Amen? It makes sense? It makes sense. All right. Good. So uh, I got some notes here that don't make sense, but. I just want to say, I just want to, yeah, I don't have to go back through that. Praise God. We've already done that. I just want to make sure I wasn't missing anything. All right. What makes it better? Let's talk about what makes it better. You got Deuteronomy 28 in that Bible or you just got a New Testament? Some people do. They just have a New Testament. They don't have the old, but Deuteronomy's in the old. So let's look at it. Deuteronomy 28 to set some ground rules. Deuteronomy is talking about a blessing, but it's not under Abraham. Who's it under? Starts with an M, that's right, Moses. This is the blessing that came in by the law. You ready? Well, we're just going to start, well, it'll be 28.1, but we're going to skip around too. I guess I need to go there too. Let's see here. 28.1, now it shall come to pass. If you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, I'll stop there. Let's just stop there. How many of us have diligently obeyed the voice of the Lord our God? All right, everything that says from then on don't apply to you. I'm serious. I'm not joking. That's why there had to be a new covenant implemented. You read the rest of that Hebrew 7, that's all it talks about is how there needed. There had to be another covenant because that one was found weak. It couldn't do it because not a single person could obey it. And so, therefore, the blessing was off the table. And then if we went to probably verse 13 of 28, or excuse me, 15 is what it actually is, we'll begin to see what's wrong there. But it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, your God, to observe carefully all its commands. The very definition 
You see my point? I'm not trying to be mean. See my point? Nobody can observe the very that we couldn't do it. And we certainly don't need to be pointing that out on the new and bringing that junk over into the new. Because all that shows is our ignorance. And ignorance comes from a lack of revelation. That ain't good. <laughs> right? Okay, so let's, get, let's let the revelation come on us. I want more. I want more. I want more as we're talking. I need this because I need to know what God has for me. What he, what he, what he, what he, I mean, I, I want to walk with him, you know, amen. So I need to see this. Thank you, Lord. It shall come to pass if you don't, these curses will come upon you. So if you're able to diligently obey the Lord, all those blessings will come upon you. You can go read them in your spare time, but it's things like I'll make you plenteous in goods. That I'll I'll bring a blessing upon your family. All, all it's just tons of it, tons of it. You know, chat, verse after verse after verse after verse, right? And then, unfortunately, though, for those of us who couldn't diligently uphold the letter of the law in every way, there are curses that come upon us. And and have you ever sinned? And all who sinned were under the curse. All who sinned were under the curse. And that's why the only thing that could happen is that because man couldn't save themselves because we were all under the curse. And once you're cursed, you can't get to God. Even if you wanted to talk to him, you can't get to him because he don't hang around with cursed stuff. He's separate from that, right? So it had to be God to save us. That's why no religion in the world has an answer for what really happened other than Jesus Christ. They don't have an answer for it. Well, if you're good enough, there is no good enough. You're separate. doesn't matter. See, it's not an issue of doing. It's an issue of who you are. Yeah, it's an issue of being. And no man could reset his being to be in the presence of God. Lost. Everybody lost. The only answer was that God loved us enough that he sent himself in the form of his son to live in this, and I'll say it true, God-forsaken place. Because at that time, that's what it was. God had separated himself. He didn't walk with Adam and Eve anymore. Amen? That means God-forsaken. <laughs> you with me? On some level, right? And so Jesus came and restored the connection. Amen. He was the only one that could go what we call beyond the veil. The veil separated earth from the heavenly, right? The veil in the temple. Jesus passed through the veil for us. Amen. Amen. And, I, you know, giving us entrance, right? And you guys know, if you've read the word, that, that on the day he was crucified, the veil was ripped from God to us, not from us to God, signifying it was ripped from top to bottom, split from top to bottom, signifying that no man could have done this. It had to be God reaching out to us. It had to be God tearing it down, saying, right had to be and you know you don't make fun of everybody you don't make fun of what they believe because they grew up in it but the truth is when when you investigate it there was only one way to restore us to god and his name is jesus you know so all right let's let's say we've we've determined now what the problem is with the blessing under the law is that if you weren't perfect in it you didn't get one you got cursed instead right so 
Now, I want to show you what the most beautiful thing about the new covenant is. Because the question will always be then to people who try to read the new. See, this is what happens, folks. And people preach it this way, and sometimes I do. We try not to. But your body, you got that floppy piece of flesh right there? I do. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, she, see, she agrees with me. She's not lying. The rest of you are lying. You got floppy flesh somewhere, I know. Except for Joe. Joe's built. But everybody else, right? I'm just kidding. I'm sure you do somewhere. Probably between your toes. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, think about this with me. Your flesh is always wanting you to believe that there's something you can do because that's what the body's for. The body's for doing. So if you listen to the body, which is not born again, it's always trying to get you to understand, I've got to be able to do something for God to make myself good because that's its purpose is doing. But its purpose was frustrated when Adam sinned. The body's purpose became frustrated. The body wasn't able to come through anymore because corruption entered and death entered. Amen. It makes sense. So the other side, body, soul, spirit. God dealt with the spirit. The spirit's been born again. The soul is autonomous because you have free will. It can go either way. That's why I said your soul hadn't been born again yet. You are you are renewing your mind, your soul, to the Word of God and not to listen to what you see and feel in the flesh. Amen. That's a quick little thing, but for people who hadn't been here when we taught that, right? So the point is then, the flesh will still try to lead you the wrong way even though you're born again. And it'll tell you, sometimes it'll tell you you're not saved. If you, if you listen to it, it'll take you as far as you want to go. Don't. Fight it. Right? Okay. But let's just say this. The, man, it's amazing. Romans 8, 28. I just don't know how to, we're just going to have to go into it and see what God does because I don't have the words to convey this in a way that I think is very powerful that does him justice. I'm just being honest. I don't think I can do you justice. I pray that you will. Amen. Okay. Here's the point. Guys, on some level, think about it with me. The law we were given says that if you do this, and if you do this, and if you do this, and if you do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. And we weren't able to keep that law. So what we got were curses, right? So what is better about a covenant that we're under now? Think about this with me. It is dependent on what Jesus did. But it's also, we're still human beings standing here wanting a blessing from God, needing a blessing from God. Am I right? And wanting to serve him. Amen? Are you? I am. Okay. So, I want you to see this for a second. Let's start at verse 27. Now, he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because... The Spirit makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, you ready? And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. That's just a verse. Now, let's hear the truth of it. How does the New Testament work?
I missed it. God told me to do something, and I missed it. I've lost out. Right? That's what the law would say. The law, see, the law would tell you, if God told you to start a church and you didn't do it, the first thing would happen, your flesh would start guilting you and say, I missed it. And then you know what would happen? You'd get sick, and you'd need, you'd need prayer for healing, but your conscience would be beating you up, and you couldn't believe for healing either, and then you end up dead, and, and you'd be taken out of, out, off the battlefield, right? Because you didn't understand your covenant. Do you realize what that said? All things work together for good. All things work together for good. All things are working the blessing in your life. But what if I screw up? All things work together for my good. If I'm called and I love all things are working together for my good. How far, how far can you miss it? All things work together for my good. But I had a chance to witness and I messed it up. Not only that, they heard me cuss. All things work together for your good. All things. And what used to happen, if you miss it, you're cursed. It's too late. You begin to understand the difference between an Old Testament and a New? New Testament all the promises are still in play as long as you're standing here. See, y'all need to think about that because I didn't hear anybody say amen. All the, no, don't say it because I said that. I just meant that I didn't do a good job. All the promises are in play if you're still here and breathing because all things work together for your good. All things work together for your good. Uh, you don't believe it yet. All things work together for your good. Well, I, but I messed up. I sinned royally. All things work together for your good. What does that say? It doesn't mean what you did was good. It just means God going to take what you screwed up and he going to work it towards his promises. You are not disqualified. Woo, hallelujah for me. Y'all hadn't done what I'd done apparently because you're not excited. All things work together for your good. I'm an example. I'm an example. All things work together for the good of those who are called and who love. Wow. So how, under the new covenant, how does blessing come to you? It's not in definition. It's not in keeping definition. What is it? We're going to start understanding this. We're going to start understanding this, even if it's not this very moment, all right? <sighs> Genesis 14, 8. Because remember, who can we turn to for an example of how God will deal with us under this new and better covenant? Abram, Abraham. You can call him either one. I don't care. His name hadn't been changed yet in, in chapter 14, so he's Abram. But either way, it doesn't matter. He's Abraham now, isn't he? Is he alive? Is he in heaven? You going to see him one day? Yes, you are. Amen. This is not just some character we're reading about. This is a man that's alive that walked with God. We have, a, we have a view to his life to encourage us. Amen. He is very much alive. Jesus said, I'm the God of the living. God is the God of the living, not of the dead. Abraham is. Everybody you knew that was born again is. <laughs> they not was. And I've tried to change that. When I'm talking to somebody, their father or mother, somebody they know passed away. I'm saying, well, how were they? I don't say to them, how are they? 
Sometimes I look at you like, well, I said, well, they are, you know, they just, they're just not here with us, but surely they are, right? Amen? Amen? They are. All right, verse 8, uh, excuse me, 18, not 8. Genesis 14, 18. Abraham just rescued Lot and got back, okay? He's coming back to bring the spoils and all the people that he's rescued. Verse 18, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram and said, blessed be Abram of God most high, that is God, who's the possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Now, I'm going to share this with you. It's my belief. Abraham never had honestly understood God just worked a miracle for him. And I'll share with you why I believe that. Now, hear me out on this. Back in in chapter 12, God said, hey, this is going to be my promise to you. I'll bless you, and I'll bless your offspring, and I'll multiply you. I'll multiply your offspring. And those who curse you will be cursed, and those who bless you will be blessed. But a lot of time, just like with you, has gone under the bridge, right? A lot of time's gone by. And when Lot got taken, because he was living in Sodom, and those kings came down there and started a war, he got taken off with Sodom when they got defeated. Abram was not thinking about God. All he thought about was, man, that's my kin. That's my brother Lot. Wasn't his brother, but that's what he meant, kin, right? My kin, I got to go get my kinfolk. So he took 318 trained servants, and he took his allies the Amorites that he lived around, right? And they went up and went against, I think it was five kings. The best I can figure on the math, they went north at least 120 miles. Can you understand way back then on the days of walking and donkeys that that's a long way? They pursued these people 120 miles, and the battle started, and it worked its way up somewhere around 150 miles away from home. Can you say logistical nightmare? (laughs) And can you say they probably have thousands of troops, and you probably have hundreds of family servants? They defeated all those kings that Sodom, Sodom couldn't defeat. Let me give you, I want to lay this out for you. How many of you have ever heard of the Rephaim? The Rephaim, you know what they are? The giants. Goliath was a descendant of the Rephaim. He was a giant. The king that Abraham took his 318 trained servants and went up and kicked their booty and brought everything back, had, had, he had been at war with the Rephaim. He was warring with the giants. And had come down and taken Sodom, Gomorrah, and those little towns around there, the cities of the plain, they're called in the Bible, taking them all captive, their people, their gold, everything they had, and moved it back up. And there's Abraham. I'm going to go get my stuff. I'm going to go get Lot and his stuff with his 318 men and those guys around him in their houses. They all went up there and went to war with this man who'd been warring with the Rephaim. You can read it. Let's see. I know it's, oh, it's verse 5, uh, Genesis 14, 5. In the 14th year, Kedor Leomer and the kings that were with him came and attacked the Rephaim. They were big and bad enough, they wouldn't attack the city of giants. And here's Abraham 
and his men, his 318, and they go up there and try to take on this army. It just took over all these cities. And he does it. And they bring it all back. And he still doesn't get it, folks. He hasn't thought back to Genesis 12.1. You understand what I'm saying? The blessing. He ain't thought about it. He went and did this, right? Here he comes, and here's this new kind of priest, new kind of king. Nobody knows where he comes from. Nobody knows where he resides. Nobody knows who his parents are, what his lineage is. He's just blessed. He shows up, brings bread and wine. Communion. Sets it out. Takes bread and wine with Abraham. Verse 18, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. He blessed him, Abraham. Now, if you've ever read Hebrews, you know that the greater always blesses the lower. A lot of times in Christianity, we tend to think we just bless left and right. It don't, uh-uh. The greater blesses the lower in real blessing. Amen? Okay. So what that means is Melchizedek was looking at the man who just defeated the king who fought the Rephaim, and he looked at him and said, let me bless you. What he was saying was, I'm on a level you don't understand. Let me bless you. Abraham, being a smart man, took the bread, took the wine. Amen? Now look at it. This is the blessing. Because remember, a blessing is a pronouncement. Because God uses words. How do you create the earth? Words. So a blessing is a pronouncement. Right? So look at what he said. Melchizedek blessed him, and this is what he said. Blessed be Abram of God most high. Possessor of heaven and earth, God the possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high. Here's the revelation. You ready? Here's the revelation. You understand God says, I got to put my words in your mind and on your heart. Here's where he puts it on Abraham's mind and his heart. Abraham's about to get a revelation of what was, pro- what was promised in 12.1. Ready? Blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. He just got it. It took a servant named Melchizedek to show him the revelation. God has wrought this. You ought to just look at it. There's no way. Y'all, there's Christians everywhere that think they earn their living. There's Christians everywhere that think they work these things. For they need a revelation. They're just like Abram, right? Amen. Now, I want you to see the logical outcome. You ready? The last part of verse 20. What does it say? Abraham gave him a tithe of all. That's why we say, hey, we're going to give our offering this morning. We're not asking you to think about it real quick and get a 10 out or whatever. We want, you, we want it to be a revelation to you because if it's not, it doesn't work. There's no law about tithing. Can you understand that? The law is if you knew how good God was and you had a revelation of it, you would. Under the law, they were commanded to go get a tithe. That's gone. We're back now to the purity of God revealing how good he is and us doing it out of a response to his goodness based on the revelation we've been given. You understand? That's why the law doesn't work because the law is forcible. The law's work's enforceable. God wants to show us how good he is. That's why in, over in Hebrews 6, it was spoken like this. 
the two things that are immutable that will anchor you inside the veil is blessing and multiplication. How do they anchor you? When you see how good God is, you'll serve. Blessings never come through obedience in the New Testament. Ooh, I can't believe he said that. They don't come through obedience, folks. They come through belief. I don't come through obedience. That's why you beat yourself up. You say, well, I, I sinned this week. I, I can't, I can't. No, 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 no. You're wrong. You're, you're under the law again. The blessing doesn't come through obedience. You don't, you don't get blessed to tithe out of obedience, folks. You tithe out of an understanding how good God's been to you. Does that make sense? Now, l- let's finish it real quick. Let me give you some examples of how God blesses his people. You ready? All right, Genesis 14, 8. Why is Melchizedek showing up? How's God deal with you? Lot made a mistake. Lot did a dumb thing. He went and lived with a bunch of sinners. He went and lived down in Sodom where there were a bunch of sinners. Did he do a dumb thing? Yeah, and then he got taken captive. But because of Abraham, what happened? How in the world did that happen? How in the world did Abraham get to go up with 318 men and a couple other families and beat all these kings? Because of the miraculous power of God through the covenant. And Abraham still didn't even see it until the revelation came. And he was like, I get it. You remember the song? I can see you now. I can see the love in your eyes. The song, you remember? I can see it now. Even though it was right there, I couldn't see it before. I can see the love in your eyes. Laying yourself down. Bringing all the broken to life. He had that moment with Melchizedek after communion. He said, I can see it now. I owe you everything. That's what he said. Now, you want to see an example of how it works? He and his wife were walking with God. Come on, can you hear me? They weren't following the definition. They were just walking with God. New Testament. Walking with God. It's not a rule. It's not a book. It's walking with God. Right? So they're walking with God. And they end up in the wrong place. But it's not the wrong place. Why? Romans 8, 28. All things work for the good of those who love me and are called according to my purpose. You can't screw up any bigger than that, Abraham. You gave your wife to another man, to a king, to save your own skin. I can hear them now. That's definitely not the Christian definition. You are not a Christian if you do that. But I can hear God louder. I'll bless you in all things. Now look at how it goes, though. I'll bless you in all things if you're what? called you know what that is belief because god called them all but some believed and the blessing is to the believers 
not the perfectly obedient, but to the believers. Your example is Abram. He's scared to death for his own skin. He says, hey, Sarah, do me a favor. Tell them you're my brother so they won't kill me. You're a beautiful woman. That's as bad as it gets in the natural. But how does God treat his people? Because all things work together for their good. So what happens? He never touches his wife, and God reveals to Pharaoh miraculously the power of God. Come on, somebody say the power of God. Amen. He miraculously reveals to Pharaoh, you got another man's wife in your house. You better fix it. Pharaoh figures it out, goes to Abraham. What are you trying to do to me, man? You trying to get me killed? You got God coming in my bedroom. I didn't know you were a prophet. You told me she was your sister. Huh? All things work together for good for those who are called and love the Lord. Do you understand the New Testament now? You're not too far away. You haven't screwed up too bad. All things are in play. All things work together for good to those who believe they're the called and those who love the Lord. Amen. Can you hear me? And so what happened? He got his wife back. And that ain't enough. You can read it yourself. He treated Abraham well because of her all the time we were there. And when they left, they left with wealth. All things work together for the good of those who are called. You don't understand how big this verse is. All things work together for your good. If you're called, come on, and you love the Lord. Romans 8, 20. Paul's given us a tremendous, tremendous revelation. You're never out of play. They're not immutable. They're, unimmu- they're immutable. Excuse me, they are immutable. These things are always in play. If you can breathe, the blessing and the multiplication is still in play. And you can't lose it through disobedience. You lose it through unbelief. Because he was not obedient when he gave his wife to that man, but he still believed. And belief was accredited as righteousness. Come on. God is good. All things work together for your good. It's all working. Oh, he's so, man, I cannot believe. And you just go down the line. He, hey, I, I know it's late. Give me one more. Just, just do one more. Let's praise God one more time. Can we do it one more time? God came to him and said, my, my blessing's still in play. Now, understand how revelation works. Now, he had told him way back, I'm going to give you a son, man. I'm, I'm going to make you numerous, right? But that was gone. Years had gone under the bridge. God appeared to him again and said, I'm going to give you a son. Right? Abram said, you ain't even given me a son. You hadn't done what you said. God said, it ain't out of play. You hadn't always been obedient, and I've been working all things, so just be patient. That's what was really going on all that time, right? And, 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 and then Abram goes back, obviously tells his wife, you know, he's like, hey, God's still saying we're going to have a son. She says, well, Hagar can have children. You can have her. We'll fix this. If God says it, it'll work, it'll work. So he goes into his wife's handmaid, conceives a child with her. That is bad, folks. That is bad. But what's the word of the new covenant? He should be disqualified. If it was based on the definition, he's cursed, not blessed. You got me? Deuteronomy 28. But it ain't based on the definition. It's based on belief. 
And because he still believes, even though he does these things, how does it end up? It works out for his good. All things work together for good. Only to those who are called, who love God and are called according to his purpose. Come on now. I'm not saying, I'm not saying just anybody out there can grab this and hold on to it. They're going to fall. <laughs> what I'm talking about is those who have heard the call and said, I believe, Lord, I'm with you. Amen? Like Abram. He changed his life. He altered his life. He wasn't perfect, but he was following what he thought God said. He was a believer. He was called because he answered. Genesis 12.1, he said, if you'll leave your father's house and go to a place I'm going to show you, I'll bless you. He heard it, and he went. He wasn't perfect in his going, but he heard, and it was accredited as righteousness because he went. Amen. So the good thing is then, look at this. He had a child with another woman. That should have disqualified him. Instead, what happened? God shows back up. Yeah, you had Ishmael. But let me tell you the good news. You're going to have a child with your own wife. It's going to be miraculous. And it was. You understand? He should have been disqualified, just like you should be disqualified. But the new covenant says all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It makes sense. Does it make sense? I want to read one thing to you that's so important right now. You ready? I'm just going to read one sentence. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, looked like his life was over. Looked like he'd been too long. Looked like he'd been disqualified several times. And he thought so. Just like many of you think so. Just like we tend to think so. Right? I've messed up. I'm disqualified. This is what God said. He didn't say be obedient. He did not say be obedient. You know what he said? Abraham was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to him and said, Oh, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Don't let your flesh lie to you. Hold on. I'm going to get you there. Walk with me and be blameless. He's not saying walk with me and you need to be blameless. He's saying if you'll walk with me, I'll see you as blameless. If you just walk with me and believe, I'll make you blameless. I'll do it through my son. I'll bless you when you can't get it done. The blessing stays. It's immutable. It never changes. You ought to see it in your life. If you're not, you hadn't been believing. You ought to see it in your life. If you haven't, you're not. It's just you hadn't been, you hadn't been walking. Come on, walk with him. Get in his word and see what he's promising and let it be on your lips. See, he's going to reveal it like he did today. He's going to put it in your mind and on your heart. And you know what he said? He promised. He said in that covenant, it'll never leave their lips. It'll never change. Blessing and multiplication will never leave my house forever, ever, ever, and ever. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. You know?